Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new show on the On the Forecheck podcast network called The Youth Movement. I'm Emmett Smith. I'm a staff writer on the Forecheck and one of the youngest employees for SB Nation's NHL network. And on with me today is a new uh, volunteer contributor for On the Forecheck who hasn't been totally properly introduced yet. Uh, Jeffrey Middleton, who is the youngest NHL writer for the NHL network that I know of to this point. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day out. Uh, nice sunny weather. Bit of a departure from the Alabama winter that I've endured for most of this past year where it's a lot of rain. So uh, thankful to be home in Tennessee, ready to watch some playoff hockey. Uh, today's podcast, obviously, this is going to be released uh, after the first Predators playoff game. We are recording currently on Monday, May 17th at around 4.45 p.m. Uh, the game is going to be on a little bit later. So we're, we're doing a little bit of a late playoff preview here for this series, but we figured we'd record. Um, our schedules lined up such that today was the best day to get into all of this. And we'll start off tonight by just taking a look at Carolina, um, and then we'll go from there and take a look at the Predators. So starting things off, um, Let's take a look at Carolina's projected lineup tonight. We have Nino Niederreiter, Sebastian Ajo, Tepo Teravainen, Warren Fogel, uh, Vinny Trocek, and Martin Natchez, Andrei Svechnikov, Jordan Stahl, Jesper Faust, Jordan Martinuk, uh, is it Stephen Lorenz? I think, maybe, uh, and Brock McGinn. And then defensemen, Brady Shea, Dougie Hamilton, Jake Bean, Brett Pesci, Jake Gardner and Yanni Hockenpah, goalies. Uh, Alex Nedeljkovic is going to get the first start of the series, it looks like. And then Peter Morozik is going to be backing him up. And the Canes are going to be missing Adam Paquette and Jacob Slavin um, and scratching Morgan Geeky, among other names. Uh, so let's, let's take a look first at the goaltenders. Uh, what do you think about that decision to start Alex Nedeljkovic over Peter Morozik? I actually like the decision the pred- for the Predators and for the Canes. The Predators have historically struggled against Peter Morozik, even though they lit him up in their last game, which could partially be due to their stars not being in the lineup. But I like it from the Canes' perspective because Morozik didn't really look on it the other night. He had trouble controlling his rebounds. His positioning was an inch or two left or an inch or two right on some of the goals. The Tanner Janot goal that he allowed was super leaky. It it was just not a good night for him. And Nedeljkovic this season has been absolutely rocking it. He's destroyed the NHL, even though it's been a little bit underrated, I think. But I think that the Canes could really benefit from having him in net. And, I mean, the Preds have proven that they can beat him, which is good for confidence, but I like it from both perspectives. Yeah, so I would have to say um, there are things to weigh here in this matchup um, between playing Nijelkovic and playing Mirazik. Obviously, there's the factor of Mirazik dominating the Predators historically, but I want to factor that in too much. I feel like that was largely just luck or subjective or however you want to call it. Um, But 
my, my big thing with Morozik is he's much more experienced in his career. And we all know that the playoffs are a different beast. Um, you're allowed to get away with a lot more. And I don't know, Nijelkovic coming in, uh, only having a few starts under his belt in the NHL this season is the most he's ever started in the NHL. And he got 23 starts. Um, he's been excellent this year. He's towards the top of all of the major statistics. He led the NHL in save percentage and goals allowed average uh, among starters who had 15 games and he's really good analytically too but uh I, I feel like that inexperience could be a positive factor for the predators at the same time though i would have preferred to see morozik in net because he's coming off of an extended absence due to injury he's had only 18 games this year if i'm remembering correctly uh so he could be a little bit rusty that could be to nashville's benefit especially when it comes to rebound control uh, this team tends to finish really well off of that kind of play. So uh, a little disappointed that Morozik is not going to be a net for game one. That is subject to change. I think the Canes are very comfortable with rolling with a tandem through the playoffs more than most teams. But uh, who knows? We'll we'll see after tonight um, when you guys are listening to this, whether or not Nijelkovic is the guy uh, that the Canes think he can be or uh, if they maybe need to take a look at playing Morozik for this next game. Speaking of people who have missed some time to injury, let's talk about Jacob Slavin. Um, he's missed some time multiple times this season, but most recently he went out due to a lower body injury. Um, and I mean, it's not been a fantastic year for him, but what do you feel like the impact of him potentially missing some time in this series is going to be? I mean, Either way, if Slavin is having a rough year or he's potentially a Norris candidate, you always know where he is on the ice. He's he's a guy that Coach Hines walks in the locker room and says, all right, this line is up against Hamilton and Slavin, which is their usual first pair. Whenever, Even if he's having a rough year, the Canes are going to miss him just because he really stabilizes that top pair as much as Dougie Hamilton is a really, really good hockey player. Slavin is sort of the calm presence. He feels like a Ryan Ellis uh, to me. He's really good with his stick. He He's very good position-wise. He knows where to be on the ice, and he can play both ends really well. I do think that it can hurt that Slavin is having a rough year, but even if he is having a rough year, like I said, the Canes are going to miss him, and the Preds need to take advantage of a decor that is missing their second best defenseman in my opinion. So the big benefit here from uh, Slavin missing some time besides, I think he's a good defenseman. He's had a down year by his standards, but he's still been quite good. Um, is that Jake Bean is going to have some elevated responsibility, but more importantly, uh, Jake Gardner is back in the lineup and he's been a bit of a mess the entire year. So that's that's something for the Predators to take advantage of. I, I think Yanni Hockenpah is fine as a bottom pair guy who can bring some physicality. He's not anything special, but like there's there's a decided weakness within uh, the Hurricanes lineup on the bottom pair now that there wasn't exactly present before, um, kind of mimicking Nashville, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show. But uh, that and then, I don't know, Slavin hasn't been excellent by analytics this year defensively i've noticed in a lot of his games he's had some miscommunication going on um his stick work hasn't been quite as good as usual it looks like he's cheating a little bit more for offense which is reflected in his numbers his 
expected goals for per 60 is a lot better than usual, um, which is basically just nerd speak for he's getting better chances. But uh, I, I don't think it'll be a huge impact to the Hurricanes because they're so deep at D. But at the same time, uh, seeing Jake Bean getting elevated minutes in the playoffs when he's relatively inexperienced could hurt them. Uh, and then also just that greater reliance on Brady Shea, uh, who has had a very good bounce back season, but he could still potentially revert to form at any point. He's had some iffy games throughout the year. He's still very young. So the Hurricanes are relying a lot on young players to step up uh, for Slavin and fill those minutes. And I think they'll be okay for the most part. They have very good uh, talent there, but it's just still kind of a question of, can they adequately fill the minutes uh, and, and not see a downgrade in defensive quality? Because as everybody knows, Jacob Slavin is one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL, and he has been for a hot minute. Uh, moving on from that here. We have some picks for who we want to watch on the Hurricanes. I'll let you go ahead and start that off, Jeff. All right. So my pick was Andrei Svechnikov. Not only do I absolutely love the guy, he's so funny, and his pregame ritual with Martinuk is like the greatest thing in the world. But he's also a really, really good hockey player. He's sixth in goals above replacement among Canes players, and third among forwards. He's second in uh, total offense goals above replacement over the last three seasons on the Hurricanes. Basically, he's really, really good at putting the puck in the back of the net and creating chances for his team. And that's also reflected in his percentages. He's got a 55.26 expected goals for percentage and similarly a 55.54 Percy 4 percentage. He just he controls play like nobody else. I went to the game on Saturday when they clinched the playoffs, and I said this to my family. I said he he plays like a bull. He's just he hits people. He fights even if he loses them. Like he's willing to he's willing to put his body on the line, and through that he's able to create chances for his line mates and the defensemen behind him. He's just he's an excellent all-around player maybe not like the greatest defensively but he can still put his body on somebody and pry the puck away from him he's really creative I just love his game overall and he's definitely somebody that Predators fans should watch out for because he can make a huge impact when called upon yeah particularly when it comes to putting the puck in the back of the net uh I don't know that there are many players on the Hurricanes better than Andrei Svechnikov uh, he's started to get going late in the season here, so that's a little bit dangerous for Nashville. That's a very talented guy. Uh, my pick personally was Brett Pesci. Um, he's a guy who gets talked about a little bit less among that Carolina D core. Uh, obviously, you have Shea, you have Slavin usually, and then everybody loves Dougie Hamilton and the analytics community. Um, and I, I guess he's gaining some notoriety around the NHL community in general lately. He's gotten a little bit of Norris talk finally, but uh, Pesci has had an incredible season. I feel like we're not talking nearly enough about him, actually. Um, he ranks ahead of Dougie Hamilton in expected goals above replacement, which is basically, it's just a metric that a lot of people use to determine defenseman value. Um, he's, he's fifth among all defenders in the NHL in that regard. He's taken up a lot more minutes recently because Slavin's missed time and he stepped up and played well within them. 
he's he's another one of those dudes where he plays a really steady game. He's not going to do anything too flashy. He just makes fundamentally sound decisions. He's excellent at the basics of the game. He isn't a guy who's going to miscommunicate with his partner. Um, he takes the right gaps. His his stick work is accurate, not overly aggressive, but he's going to force some turnovers at the blue line frequently. Um, and then he can contribute in transition too. He's just a, a do-it-all guy um, and a guy that I feel like most Predators fans won't be super keyed in on um, heading into the series because he's just not one of those bigger names, but he's worth focusing on. He's every bit as good as Dougie Hamilton and uh, he's been every bit as good as Slavin this season, if not better. So definitely a guy to watch. Uh, moving on to Nashville though. Let's talk about that lineup because there's a lot more to work with here. Um, so first line, Jofa line, Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson, second line, Yarncrope, Granlund, and Cunnan. The third line, we have our first will they, won't they with Tanner Janot, uh, Brad Richardson, Eric Howla, and Matthew Shane. Janot and Richardson are listed as interchangeable heading into tonight. We'll see. And then uh, Trennan, Sissons, Olivier forming that herd line. For the D, we have Yossi Ellis, Ekholm, Carrier, and then another interchangeable set where we have uh, Harper and then Matt Benning or Eric Branson. One or the other will play tonight. And then Saros starting in net with Rene as the backup. Um, the first thing I want to bring up here is <laughs> we don't have this in the show notes particularly, but I just want to speculate for a second. Um, Tolvanen, Ellie Tolvanen, is going to be missing the first game of this series. Um, so do you want to toss out your idea for why he's potentially missing? Because obviously he's been a very big weapon for this team. Well, the glorious minds of Pred's Facebook have brought it to my attention that his defensive abilities suck, and that's the reason why Hines is leaving him out of the lineup. But no, I, I don't think Hines, who uh, he's a smart guy, so I would assume that he knows that Tolvanen is not that bad defensively. I think it's pretty overblown. But I also think there could be a uh, a nagging injury. I, I don't know what it necessarily could be. He didn't. He seemed fine outside of not producing much the last couple of games. He was he was not bad, but he wasn't like extremely good. He was just kind of out there. But I don't think Hines would willingly scratch a guy like Tolvanen who that is like fully healthy because not only does he give the Predators offense in general more help, but he also gives the power play like a huge boost. It's clear that when he's on the ice for the power play, the Predators are far more dynamic than they would be without him. That was showcased when Forsberg and Tolvanen were out simultaneously, and they were they, everybody was just standing around. Like there was no no quick puck movement, no player movement on the ice. There wasn't anybody going around the top of the faceoff circle for a slap shot or a wrist shot. It was just tough to watch. And now that we see what Tolvanen can do, it's clear that he's. He just brings an extra gear to that power play, and I don't think that Hines would put him out just for the sake of putting him out. It just seems like a decision that would go against what you're trying to 
complete, which is winning the series. I don't think it's optimal for the Preds to do that. So my guess would be that there's some sort of injury that leaves him on like a day-to-day basis type thing. I would totally agree with you there. I think John Hines uh, has really appreciated the play of Ellie Tolvanen this year when he's been healthy. But since coming back from that injury, it felt like he was a little bit rushed uh, for the team to try and make that playoff push clinch. And I don't know that he's 100%. He's looked a little bit lackluster in these past few games. I wouldn't say he's been bad, like you mentioned, but he's just been a break-even player. And Ellie Tolvanen is better than a break-even player. So uh, it might be that the Predators are going to give him a couple days to get right and then let him back out there. Um, It could be something where they're like, he's going to be ineffective if we ice him or could potentially injure himself long-term. And the series is not worth that. Uh, but who knows? This is all just speculation. I'd like to just make sure that we clarify that again. Uh, something more could come out on this in the next few days, in which case there will be a piece up on onthefortrick.com about it clarifying. But for now, based upon what we know, uh, it's just he's been scratched. We don't know why. Um, let's look at the other uh, possible changes here so we have Tanner Janot out for Brad Richardson and then we have Erica Branson in for Matt Benning um or I wouldn't even say in for Matt Benning because good Branson's been getting a lot of minutes lately for some reason he's been in the starting lineup pretty frequently uh so let's kick off with I guess your thoughts on all-star friend of the podcast uh, much beloved player Tanner Janot possibly getting scratched out for Brad Richardson. You know, I don't understand it. I think this, if if it happens, then I I really think that's a problem. As much as Brad Richardson has made himself known over the last few games since returning from injury, I just don't see a way that you can leave Tanner Janot out of the lineup. Even if it's for a guy like Matthew Olivier, Olivier, I love Olivier a lot. He's a great player. He brings physicality. He's really like the definition of a sandpaper guy. But Jano is just—I think he's just more talented than Olivier. I mean, over the time that he's been with the Preds, he's been scoring, and he's—if he hasn't been scoring, then he's been creating chances for both Sissons and Trennan on that line. So I just don't see a way that you can justify having him out of the lineup. Unless, I mean, Brad Richardson is great, and he scored the game-winning goal and series-winning goal against the Preds last year. Maybe John, maybe John Hines has some sort of feeling towards that. I can't. That's just total speculation. But, I mean, I, I love Tanner. We all love Tanner. I don't know how you can't. He's just been unbelievable and I don't really see how you can justify leaving him out of the lineup for a guy like Richardson even if he's been good recently yeah Richardson's been an effective guy um not knocking him here at all I just think if you're gonna take a guy out of the lineup Olivier is the clear dude to remove for me I know he brings the most physicality arguably of anyone on the team but Tanner Janot He's played limited minutes. He's not been um, exactly a lineup regular the entire time that he's been up. He's been shifted around a little bit. But he's arguably more physical than Olivier is. And in terms of 
analytical numbers. He's got better numbers all around compared to everybody on that fourth line. Um, he's posted better numbers than even Trenton and Sissons, who I think we all understand their fixtures down there. Um, he's been one of the best bottom six forwards in the NHL this year. Um, and he's a guy who he was leading the AHL in goal scoring when he came up. So he's clearly someone with some talent, some scoring touch, and he showed it in NHL games. He's scoring at like above a third line clip. Um, and I, I do think, I wouldn't say it's an indefensible decision by John Hines because I can see we're playing playoff hockey and Richardson is going to be the more experienced guy. But at the same time, um, I think we'll discuss later, but one of the keys to the Predators winning this series is going to be muddying it up, making it a very physical series, irritating the Hurricanes. And Tanner Janot is maybe the best player on the team at doing that kind of thing. So I, I definitely would disagree with the decision to pull him out of the lineup or to make him the extra forward. I think he should be playing uh, we'll see how that plays out tonight. Let's move on to Erica Branson here. <laughs> I think I think everybody, um, well, I wouldn't say everybody. It's a little bit of a divisive uh, community on Erica Branson. Acquired at the trade deadline by the Predators for essentially nothing. It was a seventh round pick. Uh, still an asset, but a very minimal asset. Uh He's he's not been good. I don't think anybody would argue that he's been like some kind of revelation. But some people are big fans of him because he's very large and he hits people. Um, would you say that he is like an adequate bottom pairing defenseman? Where does he stand within that group of Harper, Benning, and then obviously Borvietsky isn't healthy right now, but Borvietsky. Well, the boomer energy is radiating from that side of the call uh no i think he's 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 not good i just i didn't i was not a fan of the acquisition when it happened i the trade with the value it had wasn't terrible like it's a seventh round pick i'm not worried about it but you know he's just not good he's never been good i i, I don't understand what people see in him other than his size which Granted, in a series against the Canes, could be useful, but at the same time, the Canes are also super skilled and super speedy, and Good Branson is none of those things. He's not good in transition. He's terrible rotating against a speedy Canes team, and we've seen that throughout the season, not even just against the Canes. Like, he's been beat multiple times off the rush because the guy can't turn on his heel on his edges to save his life. He just he's just not good. He he can hit people, yeah, but he's put he, he I've seen him put himself out of position very often because he just goes to hit people. I mean he he isn't good offensively. I mean there I just don't see the upside in him. He's I mean, one of the most popular moments in the last couple of weeks of the season was him absolutely whiffing on a sweet Duchesne pass on the on the rush he was wide open and it was like right in front of him and he just completely missed he he swung like he swung at a ball outside the strike zone like it was that bad i just i can see why older people could be attracted to him because like you said he's big and he's physical but at the same time you have to consider in a series against one of the most skilled teams in the entire NHL 
how much is a guy like Good Branson gonna help you out compared to a guy like Betting, who's while he's not a g- great bottom pair defenseman, he's still solid enough to where he can keep that bottom pair stable, which was something that the Predators didn't do the last couple of years, and it was, well, especially in the postseason, the last couple of years, and that really cost him because teams like the Stars, the Jets, even the Avalanche to some extent, they really, really took advantage of that bottom pair, and it was hard to watch. It was just not good, and I think keeping a guy like Good Branson on that bottom pair is just a big problem because he's not fit to play against a team like the Canes because he's not skilled enough. Yeah, I don't want to be too harsh in my criticism of the guy because he's he's older um, and he's he's had a rough career. He's had a rough go of it, but it baffled me at the time that the Predators, even even if it was a nothing asset, right? It philosophically just bugged me that they were willing to give something up for someone who by basically every single metric is among the worst players in the entire league. Um, And I think he's been better than advertised coming in. He hasn't been a complete tire fire the entire time that he's been there. He's had a couple of moments where I was like, not awful. Good job, dude. But there, there are just some things there where it's like, I'm sure you're a good guy, uh, Mr. Goodbranson, but I would prefer if you were not in the starting lineup. The main concern for me, as you mentioned before, is I think he pivots about as quickly as a semi-truck, um, which he's built like one, so that kind of explains it. But uh, just, I've, I've never seen a guy in the NHL skate with such hard knee bend before. Um, he, he's totally like a duster. and. I, I don't know. He's he's going up against a fast team, and this is the guy on the roster that we've seen get beat wide with speed the most regularly, which is like the most basic of zone entry tactics. It's just go wide with speed along the wings. So concern about that, especially uh, if Carolina is getting a late change out there and they can just screw with the matchups as much as they want to because they have that home advantage. Um, that's really not great for Nashville. Uh, Benning hasn't been awesome this season either. I was expecting a lot better of him, but it's worth saying he's been great in the later season. Um, he's not been great by you know second pairing standards, but he's been a very good bottom pairing defender as the season has gone on. He started really poorly, and then he's moved his way up a little bit recently. Um, I don't think he's anything special, but he's a better offering than Good Branson. He can at least skate. Um, the main concern with Benning, I think, is miscommunication. Good Branson, through all of his faults, I think, is doing a good job of keeping the back and forth going with Harper when he's on the ice because he's a veteran. He's used to that kind of thing. But, I mean, if you just look at it, the only reason that Good Branson hasn't gotten shelled worse, because um, he has the worst analytical numbers on the team, pretty much, is that his PDO, which basically means his luck, has been excellent. He has the third best PDO on the entire team, um, despite having the third worst scoring chances percentage. Uh, the only dudes who he's ahead of are Cole Smith and Lucas Pisa, both of whom barely played. 
um, and are not NHL players at this point in their careers. So I don't know. It's just it's going to be frustrating if he plays ahead of those guys. It was frustrating when he was acquired and uh, moved Davies out of the lineup. So I'd, I'd prefer for him not to be playing tonight, but we'll see. It's not the end of the world, hopefully, if he is. Um, although I say that now and then he's going to get scorched for like a brutal goal in the first period that's just going to break their back or something like that. Uh, moving on to a similar picks that we had for the Hurricanes. Uh, who's your guy to watch on Nashville? My guy to watch on Nashville is Victor Arvidsson for a multitude of reasons. The guy is, he he struggled as of, I mean, early in the year, he really struggled. He was just not, not scoring at all. He was taking those stupid slap shots off the rush that granted sometimes go in, but most of the time don't. They either hit the goal in the chest or they miss the net entirely. He's, he was just, he was falling down in corners and battles with slightly bigger defensemen or even defensemen close to his stature. It was just hard to watch, but he he started to kind of pick it up and then he got hurt, which was really unfortunate. He he's analytically he's played pretty well. He's third on the Preds in goals above replacement and he has the fifth highest expected goals for percentage at 53%. So he's controlling play and he's he's shooting a lot and that the other team isn't shooting as much when he's on the ice, but he's still a little bit shaky and coming off an injury, that could be something that the Canes look to take advantage of uh, considering he hasn't played since April 27th. But one thing I need for him to continue to do, which he was doing before he got hurt, was not take as many of those slap shots that I mentioned off the rush. Because a lot of times, teams like the Canes, who back check really well, if he misses the net on one of those, he can the puck can rim itself around the boards and come to a guy like Andrei Svechnikov or Sebastian Ajo or Marty Natchez or any one of those really dynamic forwards that can just take it up the ice and fire one back and shoot one in the shoot one in the net. It's they just got he he's just got a I really got to see something from him because this year he has not been to the level that we all as fans expected him to be at. I mean even my diehard Arvidsson fan friends were really disappointed with him especially early in the year and they've been waiting for him to break out but he just hasn't for um, for just a lot of reasons and hopefully this up this higher stage will help him, you know, really get a groove. And maybe if he's back with Johansson and Forsberg for an extended period of time, maybe he could find find his way back to normalcy in quotations. That's a really good point. Um, I didn't even think about that until just now. But basically, you remember last year he came into the postseason having been a really rough player for the uh, end of the year. and then started to find his scoring touch again a little bit with Johansson and Forsberg. Um, it looked like the Jofa line might have rekindled a little bit of that magic. So hopefully uh, he can sustain that. Um, my pick, it, it, <laughs> for, for reference here, uh, we did it so that we couldn't repeat picks. Otherwise, I think Jeff would have picked the same guy that I picked. 
but I got there first and I picked UC Saros. Um, so he was stuck picking somebody else. Uh, what, what else is there to say about Saros? Um, I mean, everybody listening to this probably knows he's been awesome this year. Uh, he's fourth in the league among goaltenders and goals above replacement. He was the best goalie in the league at even strength by an enormous margin in the NHL. Um, and this all comes after we're looking at overall stats on the season. He started incredibly poorly. He was in the bottom third of goalies in the NHL. I think it was even a bottom uh, 10 goalie in the NHL at one point in terms of analytical numbers and save percentage and stuff like that. He had a really awful start to the season, which has been a consistent trend in his career. And he's since rebounded to be the best goalie in the NHL over the back half of the year. So the reason that we say best even strength goaltender, though, is that he's been terrible on the penalty kill comparatively. He still has a lot of work to do with the rebound control. Um, he's gotten a lot better every year of his career. He's progressively improved in that regard, but he still is one of the worst rebound control players in the league. Uh, he mostly gets by on being a freak athlete and just having excellent positioning, um, reads the puck really well. I, I feel like if he's even adequate on the penalty kill or if the Predators just don't force him to be on the penalty kill all that much, um, he has a great shot to keep them in the series single-handedly because he's just been that hot over the back half of the year. The Preds rode him the entire way to the playoffs. Pecorine barely started at all, and he delivered. So he's, he's the main player to watch in this series overall, I feel like. He's the guy who's going to determine the outcome of whether or not Nashville wins or not. Um, he's not been spectacular in the postseason thus far in his career. He started last year, but uh, who knows? He's been amazing. There's no reason to believe that he won't be amazing going forward. Um, and he's, he's the dude to watch in this series. So let's finish out here a little bit um, with just some overall looks at the series. We have first um, taking a look at how the Hurricanes are going to be able to pull off a win as the favorites in this series. We're doing this in the Ford Keys to the Game type format. Um, I always put three big things at the end of my recaps or previews. So we're going to go with that here. Jeff, kick us off. What are three things that the Hurricanes need to do in this series in order to get a win? All right, so my first big thing is taking advantage of the Nashville bottom pair. We already we already discussed that. Good Branson is just not built against – he's not built to play against a team like the Canes that's really fast, really speedy, really skilled, while he does have the physical edge to him. He's just – a guy that needs to be looked at as a player that can be taken advantage of if I'm head coach Rod Brindamore. And also Ben Harper, he hasn't been terrible, but he's sort of like Good Branson where he's big and he's physical, but he's not very skilled. And, I mean, he was an AHL guy for the most part while he was in Toronto. So... Yeah, I think the Canes, I think that top six is licking their chops against that bottom pair if they get matched up against them. So my second thing is uh, taking advantage of time and space through the neutral zone. One thing I noticed the last couple of games against the Preds in the regular season was the Canes really relied on dumping the puck in, and that's something that I am historic. I'm known for being really against the dump and chase unless you have the right guys. So personally, I'd like to see the Canes 
really utilize the neutral zone. They have such fast players. I mean, we've talked about it over and over again, but it just needs to be reiterated. Guys like Marty Natchez, what a joy to watch through the neutral zone. The guy is so good on his edges. He's so fast. He reads the game so well. But he really needs to, along with guys like Sebastian Ajo, really needs to take up as much space as possible and use whatever is given to them because the Preds are uh, kind of sit-back-and-attack-me sort of team outside of the herd line. That seems to be their sort of mantra. So I would say really take advantage of rush of rush chances and... That also kind of ties in with the bad bottom pair because they're not good defending zone entries. And then uh, my third thing, kind of tying it all together, is utilizing the top six. So we already know that the top line is ridiculous. You've got guys like Aho and Teravainen on there with Nino Niederreiter, who's been stirring the pot up lately with Ben Harper and other numerous Preds forwards. But that second line is really something to look out for. Uh, Warren Fogel, he's a great four-checker. He can retrieve pucks. And guys and two guys, Vincent Trocek and Marty Natchez. I already, harped, I already talked about Natchez. He's unbelievable. And Vincent Trocek is a really stable presence that can score. He, I, I like his game a lot. He's not going to do anything crazy, like highlight real goals, but he can put... He can put as much as he wants in the back of the net, given the opportunity. And as of right now, Andrei Svechnikov isn't even that isn't even in that top six. So that just talks about the depth that the Hurricanes have, and I'm really interested to see how they make their lines. But for me, I would use that top six whenever possible, especially if you have them fresh and the third pairing is on the ice, like I already mentioned. All right, those are Jeff's three big things. Uh, some pretty good picks there. I I would say I I almost picked Natchez for my uh, player to watch, but I ended up going with Pesci instead because I feel like at least some people know Natchez and people are going to have their eyes drawn to him. But he's, I mean, talk about a dude who can skate. He's going to be really entertaining to watch at points, but then also really difficult to watch for my heart because it's going to be pounding out of my chest uh he's not going to be too good for my blood pressure uh, that dude has just some wheels on him so kind of reiterating your final point there uh my number one key is that the top line for carolina has to be dominant but particularly a little bit of a twist on uh what you said uh carolina up until recently had not been finishing very well on their chances they they're one of the best uh, teams in the league by expected goals numbers, which again is just a fancy way of saying they're very good at generating chances and not giving up a lot of them. Uh, but now in the recent stretch of games, Aho has been cooking. Uh, Trocek has finally put it all together and put the puck in the back of the net. And then also uh, Tevo Teravainen is coming back from injury. So if they're firing on all cylinders and they're actually putting the puck in the back of the net rather than just getting a lot of chances, uh, I, I wouldn't want to count the Predators out per se, but I think they're, it's fairly safe to say that they're screwed if that top line is doing what they can, which is taking over games on a consistent basis. Uh, my second point is the Canes have gotten good goaltending all year. 
Um, but they really need Najelkovic to hold up his form. Uh, conceding one of those games in Carolina is going to really hurt them. If they lose game one tonight, that's going to stink. Um, it gives them some questions heading into game two about who do they start, uh, which is never awesome as a player on a team, I'm sure. I can't speak personally to that because obviously I'm not an NHL player, but I would guess if you have uncertainty about who your goalie is going to be, that's never wonderful. Um, I I just think their goaltending remaining at the peak of its game is going to be crucial for them in a series that might end up being a goaltending duel. And then the third thing, Nashville is notoriously terrible on special teams. Um, the penalty kill has steadily improved this year. I think that's more just a product of UC Saros struggling on the penalty kill. But the power play for the Predators has been abysmal. If Tolvanen is missing, it's probably going to remain miserable to watch. Uh, unless Philip Forsberg just starts lighting it up somehow. Um, and the Canes on the polar opposite end have had the NHL's best power play and then are also quite good on the penalty kill. So if they make this into a special teams battle, if they keep this a series that's going to be based upon speed and skill, and I know obviously they're not going to get as many calls because it's the postseason, but if they are just consistently crushing guys wide with their speed and then drawing a hooking penalty or slashing penalty or something like that, then they're going to start piling up goals because the main uh, Achilles heel of this Nashville team and of UC Saros, who is basically carrying the series on his back if Nashville ends up winning, uh, is that the penalty kill and the power play are terrible. Um, so that's, that's what the Canes need to exploit. Avoid making it into a really physical series, and just take advantage of the special teams. Uh, now, moving on, let's take a look at how you think that Nashville can pull off an upset. All right. So as much as Nashville might be the underdog in this, I do think that they can pull off the upset. So my first big thing, I think it starts with Matt Duchesne and Ron Johansson getting it going. The other night, they looked really good on the same line with Philip Forsberg. They were passing the puck around with, with speed and precision, and it was just, it was exactly what it needed to be. And I think if Matthew Shane, who analytically has actually been pretty good, and Ryan Johansson, who analytically has gotten better this year, and it's been clear that he, he's, you know, he's using his body really well. He's, Looks more beefed up, I guess is the term, just because he's hitting people, he's fighting for loose pucks, he's being smart with his stick, he's not taking stupid penalties, he's just thinking the game at an urgent level, and he's really pursuing the puck instead of waiting for the puck to come to him. I think if those two guys can really get it, get it going, not just trying to play up to their contracts, which I hate to mention, but here we are, not just playing up to their contracts, but just even inching closer to that plateau is just something that I think needs to happen in order for the Preds to win. Ryan Johansson is hes a really strong playoff performer, and I like what he brings. He was excellent in the playoffs, however short they may have been, with Forsberg and Arvidsson last year against the Coyotes. He was just everywhere it seemed and that's exactly the Ryan Johansson that the Predators need this year again so 
My second big thing, I actually had to change this because I realized that Dante Fabro is not in the lineup, uh, but honorable mention to Dante Fabro not giving the puck away a million times. Uh, so my second big thing is neutralize rushes and uh, taking away the time and space that the Canes want to want to earn. I already mentioned that Marty Natchez, as an example, is a great guy to bring the puck up the ice and use his creativity to find a guy either crashing the net or uh, a guy like Dougie Hamilton up at the point. He's just really excellent at creating that time and space, and that's something that the Predators need to not let happen. They didn't let it happen in their clinching game. They didn't let it happen in the last game of the regular season. It was something that the the Canes clearly were thrown off with. They didn't really know how to combat it. They just kept dumping the puck in. And so I think that that's really, really important scheme-wise for the Preds. That's something that Coach Hines has to really enforce, especially in these games in Raleigh where not only do the Canes have their just raw talent, but they also have the fans, which the Preds will obviously get in games three and four. They they really get the advantage there because Canes fans are absolutely crazy. But that's something that if the Preds can really keep down that, quote, electric play that the Canes bring night in and night out, I think that they can really, really take advantage of that. And my third thing is winning the physical battles and puck battles deep in the zone. The herd line is a really excellent example of this because they, they're they guys that I don't mind the dump and chase happening with because I love watching Tanner Janot dump the puck in and then Yakov Trenin going to hit the nearest defenseman and pry the puck loose. It's just an absolute joy, and it's a super fun brand of hockey especially when they, they're able to mix and match it with possession entries. They're really good at moving the puck low, making the defenseman turn around, and then retrieving the puck, which is a historically massive problem that the Predators have had, especially under Coach LaViolette when he was here. It was abysmal. They would dump and chase, and then they'd like kind of just let the defenseman go get the puck, and then they would never really aggressively forecheck, which was really frustrating to watch. But And I think that physicality, the last couple of games of the year, really showcased how physical the Preds can be as a team. And it kind of threw the Hurricanes off because, you know, when there are guys that you're 0-5-0 in the season series leading up to the Saturday game, and the Hurricanes, I'm sure, had some had a lot of confidence. But then when the Preds come out against 4,000 fans, or with with 4,000 fans in the stands, and they start throwing the body, and Tanner Janot and Yakov Trenin, they're mixing it up in front of the net, and they're just fighting guys. Like It's an, it's really something that the Canes look to be taken to heart and realized, hey, these guys are going to battle us for like the first time this year, so we got to step it up. It just seemed to like kind of throw it off, like just throw the whole vibe off for them. and. That's why I think it was the most evident example of why the Predators won. They were able to take advantage of guys that may not have been so physical, physicality-oriented and just prying the puck loose off of them. So, yeah, that's my third thing. 
it could be said that the hurricanes were indeed not vibing as the predators <laughs> have been. <laughs> uh, I would have said physicality, aggressive board checking, but you had already taken that. And I was trying not to repeat your points, but I think that's the main key to this series is making it muddy, uh, particularly irritating their hurricanes. Um, if you're drawing penalties from them, I know the power play isn't great, but you're probably still going to have a positive differential in terms of scoring and shots when you're out there. Uh, knock on wood, as I say that, because who knows, the Predators could give up like four shorthanded goals in this series or something. But uh, my my main things, number one, obviously, is just UC Saros has to stay hot. Um, if he comes into the playoffs and he just somehow loses it, then the Preds are boned. It's as simple as that. There's nothing they can do if the goaltending just uh, falls to pieces. So he's got to remain at his level of play. That's what got them here. They're not one of the best teams in the NHL analytically. I think anybody who watched them this year could say uh, that they weren't really good offensively. They were just a solid enough defensive team that got excellent goaltending, and that's how they got here. Um, Number two, it's all about keeping it clean. Um, if the Predators are trying to muddy the series up, but then they start chasing for hits and they take penalties, obviously this isn't as big a problem in the postseason, but uh, you have to learn how to toe the line here. You can't just go willy-nilly uh, hitting guys from behind or doing any of that kind of stuff. Um, they need to be very smart about the way that they're executing a physical game uh, and make sure that they're not taking penalties, because if they do, the Hurricanes are going to burn them. Uh, that penalty kill has been brutal all year, and matching it up against the best power play in the NHL is less than ideal, obviously. So they really have to focus on making sure that they're not taking stupid infractions. Uh, The third thing for me, a guy we haven't really talked about a lot, but uh, Philip Forsberg has had another streaky year where he's been excellent at times, uh, kind of invisible at others, despite still driving play fairly well. And then uh, miss some time to injury. It's kind of the typical season for him at this point. I feel like on another team, he would still be producing at like a star clip, but on the Predators, this is what he is at this point. Um, and if he shows up and starts lighting it up in the playoffs, then it's anybody's series. Um, if the goaltending can remain solid for the Predators, that's kind of how it's going to go. We'll see how this reunited Jofa line plays. I don't know that it's going to be a great idea by John Hines, but he's the coach, not me. So he obviously knows what's going on there, um, or at least I should hope that he does. Uh, real quick, before we give our series predictions um, and just kind of close out the show here, uh, we can go over overall thoughts on the strengths and weaknesses of these teams. I'll give mine really fast. I think Nashville uh, is better at even strength in terms of their goaltending, uh, and they also have a far superior fourth line. They have the best fourth line in the NHL this year. Um, this is truly what you want a fourth line to be. And I think they can even match them up with the top six of the Hurricanes and not get burned particularly badly, which is a very useful tool for John Hines if he wants to roll four lines in the postseason. Um, and then Carolina obviously have the better top six, um, barring Ryan Johansson turning it on in the playoffs and Forsberg and all of these guys that we know they can play well. But Carolina right now, superior in that regard. Uh, I trust Rod Brindamore more than I do John Hines. I think Rod Brindamore ends up winning coach of the year for Carolina, the Jack Adams. And then uh, special teams, the Hurricanes have a superior power play and penalty kill. That's pretty straightforward. 
And that third line for Carolina is quite deadly. They have Stahl there, who's experienced, can play shutdown, and has also had a scoring touch this year. And then also Svechnikov, who's been similarly great for stretches. Uh, He's started to heat up lately, so they have the advantage there. What's interesting for this series, though, um, and you can speak to this if you want to, is I feel like this is about break-even on defense between these two teams. Yeah, I agree. It's... Not only just looking at the def- at the defense core for both with Slavin out, I'd have to give the edge to Nashville, despite Eric and Branson continuously being in the lineup. But I I do believe that this this is really going to be a series of offense, which is something that the Predators have obviously struggled against or struggled with, well, against and with to be honest, but. He the the team is just they're known for not scoring a lot. Like you said, Yossi right now, he leads the team with thirty-three points. Like Forsberg, if he of course had he not gotten injured, I believe he would have just drawn away from the competition. But I just really think that it's gonna be the team that wins this is gonna be the team that figures out how to take advantage of the other team's defense core. And, you know, it's it's just, it, it's going to be the little things. I think Carolina has the advantage in most things, like you said. I really think that Rod Brindamore is a huge advantage for them. As much as Hines has really done well with dealing with injuries and getting this team to at least stabilize enough for UC Saros to, car- to carry them in the playoffs, go into the playoffs. As much as he's done that, I really think that Rod Brindamore is the epitome of what you want a coach to be. He's, you know, he's a former player. He he's won a Stanley Cup. He he knows how to get stuff out of his guys, and that's exactly what you want. I I really think that Carolina has the lineup advantage outside of defense. Uh, even goaltending could be considered even. I I wouldn't, but I'm sure some people would because Nedeljkovic did lead the league in save percentage. UC, I mean, Saros has been, obviously, I think, a Vesna candidate the last few months of the season. But, you know, I think this is actually, when you look at it from top down, I really think this is a fairly even matchup. It just depends on how certain guys are utilized and which team can f- figure out the other team's weaknesses first. That would be my, that would, that would be my big thing. Yeah, uh, I think it's also worth mentioning, I saw this uh, on Twitter from Sarah Sivian, I think is how you pronounce her last name, uh, the Athletics Hurricanes writer, uh, that Rod Brindamore has been a participant in some capacity for 95 of Carolina's 101 uh, playoff games in franchise history, which is just crazy to me. Um, So that's a guy who has a lot of composure, a lot of experience in the postseason, And obviously the main thing with him that keeps getting talked about in the Jack Adams conversation is that there's nobody in the league that can motivate better than him. So, I mean, this is a Carolina team where they possibly wouldn't do great if it was made into a super physical series. But if anybody can make that kind of game work with these players, it's Rod the Bod. Um, So I'd, I'd like to see how that all plays out. Um, my series prediction, I put this on Broad Street Hockey, which is the other place that you can find my writing, but we'll get to that at the end of the show here. Uh, 
that I think Nashville wins in six games. I think it'll be a stunning upset in the first round. It's one of only a couple upsets that I picked. Um, I think my other ones were I had Minnesota upsetting. Um, that's the big one that I can think of. But uh, yeah, I I feel like the Predators, uh, this is a winnable series for them. If a couple of guys come alive, I think that second line will be capable of breaking even with the Hurricanes. Um, obviously, they're they're packing a little bit less firepower. But if UC Soros is good in net, which I think he will be, um, the postseason does play to this team's strengths a little bit. They're very physical. They play kind of a trappy style of game at points. Um, they're all about forechecking, and they don't need to worry as much about penalties because penalties are just uh, harder to come by in the postseason. Um, refs are going to swallow the whistles. So uh, I, I think this will be a tight series, but I'm going to go with the Predators taking it in six. Yeah, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news here. I'm going to be the guy that everybody gets on. Uh, I have Carolina winning in six. I, I Everybody knows I adore the Preds, and I think that they can win this series. It's not of a not a matter that they can't. I just don't think they will. I think that if Alex Nedeljkovic continues his sort of heater, I think that he can at least be on par to some extent with Saros. I think Saros is the better goaltender. But I think if the Hurricanes goalies or goalie, depending on how they work together, I think if one of their two goalies can sort of match Saros. Obviously I don't think I don't think they'll perform up to him, but I think if they can at least match his output, I think that that really puts Carolina ahead because we've I mean we've already touched on this. I think the roster is overall just a better the Preds have the Preds did struggle against the Hurricanes this season and I just don't know if those two games at the end of the year really provide much for me to say that Nashville will win the series. Like I said, obviously I think they can win. It's just a matter of taking advantage of the speedier guys that are less physically inclined and really just winning battles and sort of beating it out of the canes metaphorically, not like beating it out of them literally. I guess you could do that too, but you know, both both ways work. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just a matter of forcing Carolina to really play out of their element in a bad way. So, uh, I I think the Preds can do that, but I really like Carolina's skill. I think even if they're a division rival for this season, I really love what they bring. I enjoy watching them play they're super fun their fans are great but yeah i think i have i've got carolina in six just because they're i like their overall roster better i i will fully admit that i even in the article where i wrote this down i think that picking nashville in six is a homer pick but i'm totally cool with it and Looking at all of the factors that we've outlined through this episode, I mean, this is kind of anybody's series, and it's playoff hockey, so historically, it's been the most crapshooty postseason of any sport in the world, pretty much, besides March Madness. So, And that's just more by sheer volume of teams. 
na- uh, nationally, uh, I'd say everybody kind of understands that the NHL has the most chaotic, random postseason. Um, so any, any final remarks on this episode? I have nothing else to say. I'm just excited for the series to get going. I can't wait to watch the game tonight, spend some time with some family, and write about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm probably about to go pick up some Moe's and then uh, go watch the series. So there we go. Uh, So we'll wrap up the show here. Hopefully the first of many episodes of the Young Guns, or not Young Guns, I should say, uh, the Youth Movement podcast, which obviously is a reference to David Poyle's supposed implication or implementation of the younger players into the lineup this year. That kind of didn't happen. Uh, but I thought that was a clever title and we're two of the youngest writers for SB Nation. So it kind of fits. Um, Jeff, where can people find you on Twitter? Um, where can people find your writing and how, how can they look you up? And then what are some of the things that you've been working on that are worth going and reading? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at JJMinnow4. I post terrible Preds takes and just I post about sports mostly. Uh, I, I'm the village idiot. It's it's a good time. I, I, I try to make it as entertaining as possible. Um, you can also find me. I write for now three sites, but other than on the forecheck, I write for the Hockey Riders in the Preds section. You can just look up the Hockey Riders and pick the Predators, and you'll find some stuff. Uh, one of the things that I would suggest that you look up is Speaking of youth movement, I wrote a big, big prospect piece on David Ferrantz, uh, probably one of my better works. I'm really proud of how that came out. I also do a segment every week called Predators Weekly. I just go over what happened during the week. I look at some storylines. I go over players, just normal normal stuff, sort of, sort of recapping everything. Um, yeah, and... That's pretty much it. I also write at Last Word on Hockey, and I had my own Substack for a little bit, but I'm a little bit less active on there as I am at the Hockey Writers. So, yeah, and I've got a hopefully a Ryan Johansson piece coming out tomorrow, so I'm excited about that too. Jeff is a grinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we we kind of, as younger guys, have to do that, right? So good for you getting out there and writing for literally anybody and everybody <laughs> uh looking forward to having some more of your work on the four check once we get all of the stuff worked out for uh you getting working with us more but uh anybody who's listened to the on the four check podcast network before probably knows who i am but just in case you don't uh not gonna like big league or anything here like think i'm more important than i am uh, I'm Evan Smith. Once again, I'm a staff writer for On the Four Check. That's where you can find the majority of my work. I've also recently been picked up by Broad Street Hockey, also of SB Nation. Um, I'm a journalism student at Auburn right now, so I also write for the Auburn Plainsman, which is a student paper. If you're interested in reading any of that, cool. War Eagle to you. Um, and then I also now uh, work for uh, War Eagle Productions. So I will be doing some SEC Network uh, broadcast work and such. Uh, so you can see my work there too, technically. I'm kind of all over the place, but my Twitter is at Jin and UC, spelled like the Snoop Dogg album, but instead of juice 
or rather the Snoop Dogg single. Um, instead of spelled like gin and juice, it's gin and UC, like you say, Saros's first name. Uh, that's a lot of just sports stuff, um, particularly the Mariners, sometimes the Yankees. Um, I have very weird fandoms, Flyers complaints, Predators complaints. Uh, when it's football season, it's a lot of yelling about the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and then Auburn football sometimes too. We'll see how this upcoming season goes. So Jeff, any last words before we uh, end the week here? Nope. I'm excited to be here and I'm looking forward to the future on the, the youth movement podcast. Excited. All right. That is all the time that we have for this week. Um, as always, subscribe to the On the Forecheck podcast feed. Uh, be sure to leave a review uh, if you want to. Hopefully it's a positive review, but we appreciate any and all feedback. And uh, share this episode if you like it. Uh, hopefully you do. That does it for us here on the Youth Movement Podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Go Preds.